Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. We're three weeks into the college football season and already two coaches have been let go. And we have a new number one team in the country, so there has been a lot going on. Joining me this week, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. We'll dig into what's next at Arizona State. The plug was pulled on Herm Edwards. Three, two, one. Joining me this week is Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. We'll dig into what's next at Arizona State after the plug was pulled on the Herm Edwards experiment. The Pac-12 got a whole lot more interesting last week after victories by Washington and Oregon. Adam and I will dig into that a little bit. Plus, this week, conference play takes a big uptick, and we'll get a much better read on some of the highly ranked teams that have not been tested. At the top of the list are Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma. Adam and I will rank the most intriguing games of the weekend. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please, 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 please give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And I am going to rededicate myself. We are going to try once again to get a mailbag thing started and start dipping into our emails. There have been some building up, but I haven't been as attentive. It was a little bit of a slow roll. We're going to try this again, and if you send me emails, we will address them on the show. I promise, I promise, I promise. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and or comments to AP Top 25 Mailbag. That's AP Top 25 Mailbag. The digits 25 at gmail.com. AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. And away we go. Joining me today on the podcast is the great Adam Brittenberg from ESPN. Uh, Adam, man, we are just three weeks into the season, you know, uh, and it's been wild games, coaches getting fired, college football playoff expanding. There's a there's a whole lot going on, even though it's not even, gosh, we're recording this. It's not even the end of summer yet. <laughs> I know. It, everything is accelerated, right? It's become a year-round sport as far as the news cycle and I think now we can say it's a trend about the coach dismissals being so early it feels like there's a number of coaches every year that go in to the year um, basically one or two losses away from being fired and so you have to question why are they brought back to begin with um, you know, certainly there's some, sometimes there's financial implications sometimes it doesn't matter like it was with, with Nebraska and Scott Frost but I, I think we can safely say, Ralph, that every college football season, you know, we're not going to get through the month of September without at least one significant coaching change. Yeah, it is crazy. I guess you know we'll talk about Arizona and sort of what's next there, but it is sort of odd to think of this idea of yeah, why did you not do this last year? You know, I understand why Nebraska, to a certain degree, didn't do it last year because they set themselves up to do it at a point where the buyout went down on Scott Frost and they could have saved a lot of money. And then they didn't even do that. (laughs) So it's, uh, it, 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 uh, you know, again, I I feel like it's almost like the ADs and these schools now are sort of caught in between. It's like they can, they feel like, well, no, this is, we want to have a little patience and they're talking themselves into having patience. And then as soon as things go bad the following season, they see no fans showing up and they hear the discontent on local radio and things along those lines. And then it's almost like they panic into uh, in, into making a move, which is not necessarily going to help the search and probably won't necessarily help the team. So I guess, and, and you know, maybe we both need to do some stories about this, and I know we both thought about this and written about it some, but like, then what is the point? If you're not helping your team and you're not helping your search, then why are you firing the guy in September? Right. Well, I think there is a desire at least to project, hey, we're moving forward. I think that I kind of misread the Nebraska thing, and I'm curious your thoughts. I thought because they had a big game against Oklahoma that they'd want to get through that before any sort of uh, coaching change and, you know, just try to, you know, have that week be what it was. And, um, and and then they sort of reevaluate a little bit closer to the time when Scott Frost buyout was cut in half on, on October 1st. But I think because it was Oklahoma week and because they had 
you know, the big noon kickoff and and, and the extra attention. They didn't want to pretend like this thing was going to work. I mean, everybody knew. You knew. I knew. You know, whoever was left in Memorial Stadium knew that as they were walking off the field after losing to Georgia Southern and Clay Helton, by the way, which I just can't get over the first coach fired (laughs) in the 2021 cycle who lands at Georgia Southern. It was over. Scott Frost was not coming back as Nebraska's coach. And so I I understand why they did it when they did it kind of in hindsight, because why, why project anything else, but we're moving forward when you have an extra spotlight on you for Oklahoma. Now it was a very expensive decision, but, but I I sort of get that one. Yeah. It's interesting because you just mentioned projection, right? I think that's it. You're, you're not making this move for, well, I mean, listen, projections can be practical, right? When you're trying to keep a fan base engaged and what that means, what engagement means to the bottom line. But it it, it does also find – I also find myself thinking like it, it, it's somewhat impractical. It's all about what you're trying to project and the image and the message you're trying to send. It's more about messaging we are moving forward uh, than actually helping the program in the immediate term move forward again these teams are generally not getting better after you make these moves in September Uh, I do think you owe it and I've talked to ADs about this in-season coaching changes and, and they will say like they feel like they owe it to their players to be to make those decisions carefully to try to give the players a chance to have a good season and for many of them their last college season and I don't think that's just lip service I think they think it, but I don't know if it's really playing out that way. That way. So again, again, it seems to be more of images everything, and you're not necessarily helping your you're not helping the team get better. And again, you're not necessarily advancing the search. Think about it. USC fired Clay Helton about the same time last year as he got Scott Frost fired, and. They didn't know who their coach was going to be until the night Lincoln Riley lost to Oklahoma State. So, like, it's not like there was a whole bunch of, you know, I'm sure that they advanced their search in certain ways and there was some work that could be done a little more above board. But it's not like they, you know, they they took all that time and it helped them land Lincoln Riley. No, it's true. And, you know, a lot of this really... Um, happens in the month of November, whether you fire the coach then or not, like as far as the the actual conversations and, and the scenario planning and, you know, potential offers on the table, like that doesn't happen until, you know, really weeks 12, 13, 14, you're heading into that championship weekend where it usually goes crazy with like it did last year with Mario Cristobal uh, going to uh, my you know, Miami from Oregon. And then Brett Venables got the Oklahoma job, I think on the Sunday, mm-hmm. right before that. So, it, that that's when it all sort of comes to a head. But I, I you know, I, I think because, you know, now you have, um, you know, a transfer portal element, uh, you know, the, the, the Georgia Southern was able to hire Clay Helton uh, very early because he was available. You know, maybe that's the way one of these schools goes um, uh, Arizona state or Nebraska or one of the other ones that we'll talk about, you know, because this is a market that, uh, you know, my people I talk to in the industry say that you know, could be pretty retread heavy, mm-hmm. meaning, coaches that are not currently working right now, at least in, in, you know, on a college football staff, you know, they're available. So for example, if Arizona state wants to hire Tom Herman, they can do it and they can have him in place relatively soon. Mm. Um, if they want to hire someone who's working in college or the NFL, it's obviously going to be a lot later, like you said. So yeah, I, I think it's, it, it, I don't think it's a massive advantage to do it now other than, you know, for the players, I guess, but I think more to show the fans, Hey, we're 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 just we can't move forward, you know, and pretend like this is going to turn around. Okay, so Arizona State was number two, uh, opening up with her, and that was a little surprising to me on Sunday. You know, again, we're at the point now where after Saturday night, when all the results are in, you sort of look at your list and go, "Okay, who might get fired tomorrow?" <laughs> I mean, we we've literally come to the point where you you have to start thinking that way. So. After Saturday night's results, I was like, okay, guess I got to check in on Georgia Tech because I I think it's over there for Jeff Collins. Maybe not. Maybe there's a turnaround. It doesn't seem like it. Boy, I I got a chance to watch the replay of the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game and Man, they're they're a tough watch, man. <laughs> like I, they they're a really tough watch right now. And I thought maybe um, 
you know, maybe Brian Harson. You know, we all know where this is probably heading with Auburn. Uh, I mean, they've signaled since February what they think of Harson. Uh, I, I wasn't really thinking that Arizona State was going to be the one to pull the plug, but they did with Herm Edwards. It was a grand experiment. It, it you know, it wasn't a total disaster. They weren't horrible. They won some games, but in the end, you know, really, I, I would make the argument Todd Graham did more at our Arizona State than Herm Edwards did. No doubt, and you know, I know Todd Graham rubbed some people the wrong way, and and there weren't a lot of folks that were crying when he was let go, but. He, he he won. He won a decent amount there. And, you know, interestingly produced quite a few coaches uh, off of that staff. I mean, Mike Norvell is one uh, and there's others around college football that were that were part of that. Those ASU um, Todd Graham staffs. And so, you know, again, I think I think the I think the surprise that you and I had on Sunday you know, like when I was doing my my list of, of, of kind of jobs to watch, I almost like put Arizona State to the side because they hadn't done anything yet. We know this NCAA investigation is looming. We know their leadership is, is I would say, bizarre um, in terms of how they've approached this. And I just kind of thought, okay, well, they'll get through the season and then he won't be back next year. Like, it won't be results-based. Yeah. And the fact that it was results-based, I, I guess it just reinforces, Ralph, that, like, the emotion of losing a game that you feel like you should win can trigger otherwise supportive people to just say, yep, we're done. And that, I think that's kind of what happened at Arizona State. So, you know, but I, I guess I had put them in a different category because, you know, of who was leading that situation in terms of the athletic director and the president, why Herm Edwards had been hired in the first place. And then also this looming NCA investigation, which, you know, again, continues to drag on and on and on. I thought it, they could basically just make it to the end of the season reassign Herm or just say thanks for all you've done. Yeah, kind of let him let him retire, you know, or whatever that looks like, you know, like make him let him step aside in a way where it doesn't look so it doesn't quite look like you dumped him, which is essentially what happened. Right. I mean, again, I, I, I just thought there was no path where I could see Herm coaching Arizona State in 2023. Mm-hmm. There are just none. I mean, you know, I, and so I, but but again, thought it would happen later. Didn't think it would take an Eastern Michigan loss yeah. that most of the country was asleep for, <laughs> right. for 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 them to take action there. Well, you know, and the list of of course come out who might be next, and you know, a, a lot of the lists, the names are the same for Nebraska. It's just like I mean, you know, I, I think first of all, I think the li- the the list draws some traffic, so so there's a reason to do them, and I think that you it does provide some insight in certain ways on where the uh, school might be heading. Um, but there's also a lot of, you know, the Bill O'Briens and, and Tom Hermans and Dan Mullins and these sort of same candidates on, on every list. The name that sort of emerged, though, that I think is interesting is Kenny Dillingham, who is currently the offensive coordinator at Oregon, uh, has ties to Arizona State, was there when Todd Graham was there. And I, I think what is interesting about him, very young guy, I think he's maybe 31 or 32, and it would be a divergence from where they have gone continually, Arizona State, which is experienced, you know, in some ways retread type guys or, you know, older guys. So it's an interesting name that sort of emerged there. I've heard a couple of people sort of put that out there. Ari Wasserman from The Athletic, who's got Arizona roots, wrote, wrote about it. And I've seen some others mention Dillingham. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where they go, but I, I, I'm intrigued by that idea because it's just such a different path. You know, this is a school. This is a school that's sort of kicking themselves. Uh, boy, we maybe we could have had Mike Norvell. He was on our staff. Boy, maybe we could have had Billy Napier. He was on our staff. So maybe this is this is their way to pivot. No doubt, and and that's what's so interesting is that coaches still really like this job. I mean, I, I put it out on Sunday that if if this had happened a couple of years ago and there wasn't an NCAA investigation going on, I think both Billy Napier and Dan Lanning would have been really interested. Uh, both had been on staff. Uh, Dan was there with Todd Graham and, and Kenny Dillingham. They're incredibly close, obviously, working together now at Oregon. But I, I think that's that, that's the caliber of coach that that Arizona State could could go after. And it's interesting that you bring up the history. And I think it's important to remember, like, what is each of these schools done historically with its coaching hires? What, what are the themes? Because you're right, Arizona State. And I remember, you know, when I kind of got into college football as a, as a Cal fan, in the early 90s, Arizona State took Cal's coach away, Bruce Snyder. The late Bruce Snyder went there. So this is sort of who they are. They don't usually hire the young up-and-comer 
without a lot of experience. But Kenny's an interesting case because he went to Arizona State. He's from that area. Uh, he started his career actually coaching high school ball in that in the Phoenix area, mm-hmm. knows that high school recruiting scene better than almost anyone. I did a piece a couple of years ago on all the co- high school quarterbacks coming out of Arizona, going to Power 5 programs. And Kenny knew them all. I mean, he, he knows all the, the quarterback gurus and the high school coaches. Now, if you went that route, you'd have to really be looking long term because there's going to be some growing pains uh, because of the situation the program's in, the fact that you're hiring a first time coach, uh, a guy that, you know, really this is the first year he's got real autonomy as an offensive coordinator. He'd been an OC at, at Auburn and Florida State with Mike, with uh, Gus Malzahn and Mike Norvell, but, you know, now he's the guy. And so how he does at Oregon this year and last week was certainly encouraging is going to, I think, you know, shape his candidacy a little bit. But if, if he gets an interview, he's going to do a good job. I, I, I'm i pretty confident in that. I know he, he talked with Utah State about their vacancy a couple of years ago. I think Alex Grinch is another Pac-12 coordinator that, you know, if he can generate some momentum and they have it early on at USC on defense with some of the takeaways, he he's someone who might get into that mix at Arizona State. You know, Tom Herman's name, I think, is really intriguing, though, because this could be a job where he fits you know, California native, but also extensive ties to Texas. Those are two states you have to recruit if you're at Arizona State. But I, I do think that, you know, there's so many like larger picture questions here, Ralph, before we even get to the and I and I did a candidates list. I mean, that's one of my, my jobs at ESPN. But who who's making the hire? What's going to go on with the NCAA? What's the timing? What are they really looking at? You know, how many how many uh, years realistically are they going to be down as a program before they can sort of resurface? What league are they going to be in in the future? Like there's so many things outside of like just hiring a coach going on in Tempe. Yeah, the state of the Pac-12 is an interesting one there because I don't know if they've got good answers to it yet. And I don't know if they'll have a really good answer even by the time they have to make this hire. Uh, that would be the one thing that would give me a certain amount of pause. Listen, it's a great place to live, and I think a lot of people are drawn to it from that perspective. Um, the the high school football has gotten a lot better there, but the trick has, but the problem has been the best of the high school football has not stayed in state uh, quite so much. Um, it's a transplant, right? It's a it's a transient kind of population, so you end up with a lot of people from elsewhere. So they have kids who don't mind going to Big Ten country because they're from Big Ten country or back out to California or into the SEC. There's just for some reason there's just not a real like I want to grow up to be a Sun Devil in that population. As strong as it is, I'm sure there are some, but not as strong as it is in, in Big Ten country or in SEC country. So that's why, again, the Dillingham part becomes pretty interesting because he sort of knows the area and has ties to that 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 area. I, I think it'll be fascinating. I'm not so worried that much about, I don't know, maybe this is just me being overly optimistic or, or reading tea leaves wrong. The way the NCAA is heading and the reforms they're looking at as far as enforcement, and I know some of those reforms might not kick in before the Arizona State case is done, but they're moving in a direction where I think things like bowl bans and even heavy scholarship losses, I think, are going to kind of go away. And maybe they'll, you know, retroactively punish the coaches who are involved and things along those lines. Like if I'm a coach these days, I'm interested in what what might happen with an NCAA investigation, but I'm not as afraid as maybe I used to be that I'm going to be walking into a crippled situation. The The crippling part may simply be that it doesn't get hammered out quickly enough and it's sort of hanging over you. But I don't yeah. I'm, I'm not necessarily worried that like, man, I'm walking into like, you know, being down 20 scholarships over the first three years. Like, I, I don't think that's just in the cards anymore from the NCAA. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, you know, it, it's I think we're in a different um, era where you, know, you used to really fear these things. But but maybe, you know, Tennessee will be fine. <laughs> Arizona State will be fine, even though, you know, the result or the um, infractions seem to be quite blatant at both at both places. I, I know there's a desire among athletic directors, you know, to just get these things over with. And and why is it taking so long? I think that, that that's probably what the public would like the most is, is just to have resolutions. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I, but I also think the fact that the penalties are not necessarily going to be um, you know, crippling. It, it's, it's, it's important to remember that I do think their roster situation is going to be rough for a while, but it's still a, a great place to, to be. It's a, it's a fun school to attend. Um, and, and I think the right coach can can sell that. I, I do think it's important that they have somebody with 
you know, some experience recruiting that area, because you're absolutely right that Arizona State has um, squandered a period of time when when the areas area schools are producing a lot of really uh, solid players, especially at the quarterback position. But then you also have to be able to get into California and Texas and bring players in. I mean, that's that's been a um, you know, that was a theme, uh, uh, you know, I think going back years and years and years, even you, know, you look at the Dick Tomey era, you know, they were they were brought in some players from Hawaii. I mean, they, they, you have to go elsewhere. You can't just build a team completely out of that state. Yeah, listen, man, if you can't get kids to come to Tempe, football players to come to Tempe out of the transfer portal, like, what are you doing? Like, like that's, again, that's a cool school, and it's a great area, and it's beautiful weather, and yeah, there's a lot going on at Arizona State. So I would think that, like, again, that that should be an interesting job to look at going forward. I, I You know, I don't want to look back too much on the games from the past week, but I did think there was an interesting development uh, sticking in the Pac-12. And Oregon runs BYU out of the building in a really lopsided performance that I don't think a lot of us saw coming, especially after BYU sort of established itself over the last two years as a team, as a team that can compete and beat Pac-12 schools. Um, then Washington, man, Las Vegas was right. They kept telling us, no, Washington's a favorite in this game. Washington's a favorite in this game. And all of us looked at it and went, really? And Vegas is always right because the the Huskies laid one on Michigan Michigan State. I, I didn't really even, you know, I didn't, certainly didn't see that coming. Kalen DeBoer, it's been refreshing to, to watch a Washington game and not be made, you know, driven to insanity by their offense because their offense has been so bad the last few years. I, I just think in about a five-hour span on Saturday, the Pac-12 became very interesting. And, and you know, considering how that league has been the last few years, it, it's, you know, good for the Pac-12 to actually, like, capture the attention and get a couple of big wins. Yeah, and if Cal corrals the ball in the end zone, that they have like seven chances to beat Notre Dame, and it could have gotten <laughs> even more interesting. But you're right; it was a good day for the league, and um, I, I think it was really important. I think for people to see on a, a somewhat national scale, you know what's happening at Washington, because yeah, and you knew the name Kalen DeBoer just like I did. I I, I knew Kalen back when he was a, a coordinator in the MAC at Eastern Michigan, and knew that he had some real high level potential, but you know, he wasn't the coach anyone was talking about in that conference going into the season. It was Lincoln Riley, obviously, and then you know Dan Lanning to a lesser extent at Oregon. But Kalen is a terrific offensive coach, and I think the reunion of, of him and, and Michael Penix, a quarterback, has Washington in a position where they can really make some noise in the Pac-12. I mean, that, that stadium is one of the best home field advantages in the country when it's rocking, and that was the case on Saturday. Um, so that that was exciting to see as somebody who grew up in, in the Pac-12 and remembers how difficult it was to go into Husky Stadium. You know, that it, it just felt a little bit more like that, uh, especially with the excitement that they brought to the table at Washington and certainly for Oregon. Now, I think they caught BYU at a good time. I probably didn't look at that closely enough going into the game. But if you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, that BYU Baylor game was just a battle, you know, the week before physically. You know, mentally having to go into overtime against a really good team. And then BYU is certainly nowhere near 100%, especially at the receiver position. And so, uh, you know, you credit Oregon, though. They, they they left no doubt. And, you know, you could tell that after Georgia, they wanted to show that that they're, uh, they're a solid team and uh, a team that's going to be relevant in the Pac-12 this year. And, and they were able to do that. So now you look at that conference and you have Utah, which I still could you think could be the best overall team in the Pac-12, but they have a loss. You know, USC uh, looking good, uh, very, very good. Oregon now is back in that mix. And then Washington, um, and then Washington State. Like, let's not forget Washington State. Hey, in or- Oregon, Oregon State this, week. this weekend, you know, yeah, in Oregon State. USC. I mean, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, there's the, there is some depth. There's some relevant depth in the Pac-12. And and I would even throw Arizona in just from the sense that, like, hey, they, they, they have, uh, you know, they beat North Dakota State, which everyone says, well, you should. Well, a lot of FBS teams don't. <laughs> that's, right. that's that's like, like you're, everyone says, why would you ever schedule North Dakota State? So I, I just think, yeah, there's certainly some rough stories in the league. And Colorado is about the roughest, as you can see. Um, Arizona State, I don't think Stanford's very good. But uh, I think the, the, the depth towards the top is encouraging. Um, especially if teams like Oregon State and Washington State continue to perform. Yeah, I think there's at least a possibility there that you can see, you know, it's becoming more and more apparent that what we saw Labor Day weekend in Atlanta was 
probably more about Georgia than it was about Oregon. Um, again, that 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 performance by by Oregon was so bad, or you know, Georgia so good and so dominant. It it, it had me coming away going like, man, like I just like I, I know Georgia's good, but that. Like that's non-competitive for Oregon. Do I have to completely reassess Oregon? And you know, is landing in over? I mean, it was it was a come to Jesus kind of moment of like, wow, like that that team, they may be in trouble. And then you get two weeks removed from it, and they've scored 111 points in the next two weeks, and you go, okay, wow, George is really good. Um, so I also think it positions the Pac-12 in a year where clearly, without question. The, the the fourth playoff spot, or not even just the fourth playoff spot, that once you get past the top two or three teams, we really don't know what we're talking about. Like, it's it's just a big mush. The difference between, I think, 5 and 15 and 25 is going to be really, really hard to discern that, like, I think, it's, I think those Pac-12 teams are going to be in that conversation. And I think the problem the Pac-12 has had the last couple of years, it almost seems like they wouldn't even be able to get into that conversation or had a hard time staying in that conversation. And it looks like we'll be able to co- sort of keep those Pac-12 teams in that best of the rest, which is going to be, which I think has a chance to make this a very fun season. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you could make a case. I mean, certainly Washington State could make the case like for, for and I don't want to get I mean, this is your world. And I know you get a lot of criticism. <laughs> no, if you, bring it on, bring fault. it on, bring it on. But, but, but I mean, you can make a case they should be ranked. I mean, they went out and beat Wisconsin on the road. Yeah. Uh, not a lot no of doubt. teams do that, especially no out of the Pac-12. Now, Idaho and Colorado State aren't going to help. But if they beat Oregon, they're going to get they're going to be ranked. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident saying that. And they get USC on the road uh, in a couple of weeks down in L.A. So it's uh, it's an exciting time, um, I think, for. For, for for at least right now, if you're a Pac-12 fan, because we all thought, you know, Utah loses to Florida. And I think we can definitively say now that that Utah was a better team than Florida. Yeah, Utah should have won that game. It's going to I think by the game. end of the year, we're going to look back and go, boy, Utah really. I mean, it probably already saying it. Utah missed an opportunity there. Huge. And and and, that, and that's been the 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 you know that's been the Pac-12 deal here for such a long time as they've missed the playoff year after year and and so it's nice that we're sitting here you know, towards the end of September getting excited for a weekend of of great games nationally and, and I know we'll get into this later in the in the pod but but quite a few interesting ones in that conference. Um, you're featuring teams that that maybe we weren't talking about a whole lot before the season. So um, that 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 leads to excitement. I mean UCLA we don't know yet. Uh, but they're three and zero. They found a way to beat South Al, and will will likely be four and zero after this weekend against Colorado. So that's another team that that could get into that conversation. But it's just nice to uh, have have more than um, oh the Pac-12 is out of the playoff or oh god the Pac-12 is terrible. You know they 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 can't put together any sort of team out there. Um, so I, I think I think that that is starting to shift a little bit for the better. Yeah. So my last word on that, and then we will get into this preview in this weekend is. It's good to have depth, and it's good to have okay UCLA very bad. Uh, like there, there, there aren't as many bad losses on the non-conference schedule as, as has been the case. Forget about the big lot, like the big marquee game losses, which the Pac-12 has not done well in. They've also over the last couple of years tended to accumulate these like lots of losses to the Mountain West and and to FCS teams, which really just undercuts the whole conference as far as depth. So they, they, they've they avoided a, a lot of those, you know, Colorado with notwithstanding, they've avoided a lot of those, but now they need a top tier to emerge from that. What they really don't need is okay, now everybody starts picking everybody each each other off and you end up with a two or three lost champion. Now it's almost like, okay, you set a good base here. The conference has shown that like it's got some teams that you know are pretty respectable, but now let's see one or two elite teams emerge from there. So you know, listen, I'm not rooting against Oregon State. I don't want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like like I'm 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 bashing on the Beavers here. But what would be ideal for the Pac-12 is for. Oregon State to be good, but USC to beat them this week. Yes, at, yeah, at and, least and, one or two, and maybe maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's Oregon State beats USC and they become the 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 elite looking team. But I, they need one or two of these teams to stay above the fray. I've always said, and I'm curious if you agree that the magic number for a Power Five league is not is never one; it's two or three. 
mm-hmm. and it's never four or five because then you're getting into the well everyone's just very good and no one's great yeah in terms of getting to the playoff and ensuring you have a spot there i think you need two or three elite teams and that certainly hasn't been the case in the pac-12 in in recent years um i guess maybe the closest they got was 2019 with Utah and Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, the teams that met in the in the Pac-12 championship game. But unfortunately for the league, the wrong team won in that game, which eliminated the, the league from the playoffs. So I, I think if it's if it's USC, um, right, you know, right now it looks like USC, Utah, and maybe Oregon are those three teams. But maybe somebody replaces Oregon. Maybe it's Washington State uh, or, 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 uh, or UCLA. Or Washington. But yeah. I, I think once you get above three, then you get into – you know, the the Big 12 when it didn't make the playoff, the Pac-12 when it didn't make the playoff, the Big 10 when it didn't make the playoff. I mean, the Big 10 this year hasn't been great at all. Um, and they've had some of those ugly losses, Ralph, that you mentioned. However, at the very top, it's three familiar teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. And if it stays that way, they're going to get in the playoff. And mm-hmm. in some ways, that's all that matters, at yeah. least in the four-team system, is that you're not left out of the playoff. Yeah, yeah, and I think the uh, again the Pac-12 will it looks like it's going to enter October in in better shape than it has been in a while. Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester. Gapping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions tech is always at my fingertips. You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit Regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right. Well, last, the last thing we do here on the show, we do it every week, is we do a little weekend preview. And the way we do the weekend preview uh, is to rank the most intriguing games of the weekend. Five most intriguing games. They don't have to be the best games. You can go off the board. You can get weird uh, if you'd like. Um, and, but five most intriguing games of the weekend. I have my five. Adam has his five. And we, of course, start with the guest. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been thinking to myself, I might start forcing people to make predictions on these games. I don't know if I'm going to force you if you're up for making a prediction, Adam, because I didn't give you a, I didn't give you a heads up on that. But, I, you know, I listened to other shows and I realized, like, I, we're not picking games on my show. Maybe I should, I mean, you know, even that's maybe not our expertise. Like, shouldn't we be, like, contractually obligated to pick games? You know, but but anyway, I'll let you do. If nothing else, we'll start with most intriguing. And if you want to make a pick, feel fine. But your, okay. your fifth most intriguing game this week is what? Oh, this is really tough, Rob. I've been actually doing this on Twitter every week where I put out my 10 most interesting. Um, and this is probably the hardest week because there's actually a really – I don't know if there's any, like, incredible, oh, my God, games in, in this week's slate, but there's a lot of really good. And, like, I'm thinking of the ones I'm going to leave out, like, you know, the Iron Skillet game, TCU-SMU is one that I'm excited about, but, you know, not quite in my top five. You know, Minnesota-Michigan uh, State is interesting, but not quite in my top five. Um, all right, I'm going to go with the one that a lot of people were hoping college game day would be at, and and, and they chose not to go there. But Duke and Kansas, number number five, two three and O teams, two teams uh, that have been known much much more for what they do in basketball. But um, thanks to Lance Leipold, primarily with uh, resurrecting the worst Power Five program uh, for uh, more than a decade, and then Mike Elko off to a nice start at Duke. I'm going to go with the Duke KU game at five. I'm going to go with KU winning this game to amazingly improve the four and Yeah, I actually think like this is not to disparage Duke, but I think Kansas might be like good, good. Like they might be like maybe not win the Big Twelve good, but I think they might be pretty darn good. Uh, like maybe you know five hundred in the Big Twelve good. Where Duke, I'm still a little skeptical of like sort of like okay the competition they play a little smoke and mirrors there going on. Um, but that's a great pick. I just wish they could play it in Fog Allen. Like wouldn't it mean if you could ever squeeze a football game into a basketball arena, this is the one I would love to love to see. So that's a great they stack. They should stack Cameron and Fog Allen and like break down a wall. And that actually <laughs> might be close to hundred yards, right? That, that would be very very cool. I love that pick as number five for you. And you're right. This was a tough week to to come up with five. I, I one of the things I wrote this past Sunday coming out of the poll was I feel like there's a lot of mystery teams in college football near the top of the rankings. It's like, oh, like clearly they're good, but like 
really haven't played much competition, so I have no idea how good. And I think by the number one mystery team is the one number four in the rankings right after we get after we get past the three-tier elite there. And that's Michigan. Like, clearly Michigan is good this year, but their non-conference competition has been so awful. I just want to see them play someone who will be a little bit of a stress and Maryland comes to town. And listen, Maryland has not fared well against the upper-tier teams in the Big Ten since it has joined the Big Ten. So this might not be a great test for Michigan, but Michigan has been so untested that like just anybody coming in with like some athletes I think is going to be interesting for me to see. So I want to see Michigan play somebody. So I have Michigan-Maryland at number four. Okay, I like it. I like it. Yeah, Michigan is a fascinating team because like you said we don't know a whole lot i'm gonna stay in the big 12 and i was debating between two games for number four but i really like i I just like these two coaches and i like their teams and i'm fascinated to see what happens in this game i'm gonna go to ames iowa and go with baylor iowa state um you know baylor the defending big 12 champion uh came up a bit short against byu on the road you know tough tough loss for them but they're still a a really good team. They get Oklahoma State in a rematch of the Big 12 championship game the following week in Waco, where they first have to go to Ames to face an Iowa State team that finally got over its hump against Iowa. And then now can they do what they've done in the Big 12 and make life difficult for, for opponents? Um, so I, I think I think Iowa State's an interesting team in an interesting league, and they get Baylor at home. And so I think that that's going to be a, a, a physical, close game, two really good coaches, two really good staffs. Uh, and and teams that play defense, so excited for that one. Yeah, that that was another one that caught my eye for all the reasons that you put on. And I really do think like the Big Twelve has a chance to be, you know, kind of like we, where we were talking about with the Pac twelve, maybe a little too crowded at the top, frankly, um, for you know to be a playoff league this year. Uh, and I think you know a, a game like this, a swing game between Baylor and Iowa State in the long run, could determine which of these teams ends up being the contender. Uh, much like last year, you know, I, I, I've gone on this spiel before. I think sometimes these Big 12 teams are so close. The difference between going 7-5 and five and having one of the best seasons in school history is just a couple of field goals here and there, which is essentially what this divided these two teams last year when Baylor and Iowa State played. So that's a good pick. I would... Uh, I think I might lean towards Iowa State in this game at home. Uh, you know, again, I think there was a, there was this expectation that they were going to that they were going to fall back this year, but you know, for all the great things Matt Campbell has done, he's rarely gotten through September, well obviously because of Iowa and other they've had some other upsets early. They usually don't get through September cleanly, so all of a sudden like, you know, this was supposed to be a little bit of a quote-unquote down year, but at 3 and 0, they're looking pretty good. They are. Yeah, I mean, I I would probably lean Baylor, but but again, you know, two two newer quarterbacks, um, Blake Shapin and and Hunter Deckers, and um, you know, again, they 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 play defense. They're they're well coached. I, I would imagine a very close game. So certainly could go either way. I'd probably lean Baylor. Yeah, my number four is, and I'm I sort of referenced it earlier as USC Oregon State. And unfortunately, as intrigued as I am by it, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to watch it because I'll be home this weekend and I don't have the Pac-12 network. So. You know, if anybody wants to, you know, just tell me how to watch that in another way, <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. You want to tweet me something to give me an idea of how to find that game without having the Pac-12 network, because those things are definitely possible. Love to find out. Listen, it, again, it goes back to mystery teams to a certain degree. And, you know, Fresno State's pretty good. Stanford, I don't think, is all that good. What we've seen out of USC is I guess they're not necessarily a mystery. They are exactly what we thought they were. They are amazing on offense, and they can't stop anybody on defense. But I think Oregon State is the team that I think could have the formula of not necessarily that we're going to contain Caleb Williams and that and that crazy offense as much as we can do things offensively by running the ball, wearing them down, that can sort of... Uh, that can put some reins on their offense, slow the game down to a certain degree where we don't need to get necessarily get 45 points to beat them. Maybe we can play a little ball control and keep Caleb Williams on the sideline. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have that a little higher on the list, but I certainly, um, and bad things happened to USC and Corvallis, uh, at least over the peak, the peak Carroll years. There um, is so some history there. Yes. There is some history of, of USC falling at uh, in Corvallis. So what's your number three? 
So I have um I have Clemson and Wake Forest, um, which is uh, you know, big, big game for Wake Forest, obviously coming off of the Atlantic Division Championship in the ACC last year. This is, you know, a Clemson team, many believe, you know, will be the top challenger to Wake, might be NC State. But, um, you know, I think Clemson, you know, yes, they, they are not the Clemson offenses of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but I think they've improved a little bit from last year. You know, Wake Forest, I got a chance to see the end of that wild game against Liberty when when Wake was able to hold on. But, uh, you know, I think this will be a really good test for 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 both teams in a sense. Um, but, you know, if Wake Forest with Sam Hartman back and we're all thrilled to see him back and playing uh, for quarterback for the Demon Deacons again. But if they if they have any chance to sort of repeat and, and as a division champion and, and be a, you know, again, maybe top 15 team this year. This is a big, big moment. Um, and it's all over Clemson. I mean, I don't think anyone that watched Clemson against Georgia Tech, you know, felt that great about them coming out. But if they can go to Winston-Salem and win definitively in a game that people are going to be watching, I think that that'll really help them going forward in what looks to be a, a you know a tougher ACC than in some years. Yeah, you know, even last year as Wake won that division, they lost to Clemson. Uh, it, it's a tough matchup for Wake because they just, you know, as, as, as well coached as they are and as experienced they are, you know, Clemson just a lot of times just outdudes them. And, and they did even last year when Clemson was a little down. You know, sneakily, Clemson's got the longest winning streak in the country. They've won nine straight games. And you're right, the offense has been a little better. So Clemson was also my number three. So I, I'm with you. Again, a little bit of a mystery team again because not a lot of competition early on. We have there's a reason to be somewhat optimistic about the offense being better than it was last year, but I want to see it. Um, Wake is not the best defense, but I want to see it against on the road against a, a more feisty competition. And this is a chance where Clemson again another one of those mystery teams. So they're my number three as well. Uh, so we can skip right to your number two. Okay, so the, yeah, that my number two is USC Oregon State. I, I'm really, really excited about this one um, because of what we've seen from USC, which you know a lot of it was expected on offense. You know, defensively they've taken the ball away at a really, a really good pace so far, and I'm curious if that can continue on the road against um, you know a, an experienced Oregon State offense with a really good coach in, in Jonathan Smith. And I think Oregon State's defense, let's give them some credit too, because that was the unit that, you know, wasn't great last year. And they made a coordinator change late in the year going to Trent Bray, who, who you know, he's too, been, was on the staff, but now has been elevated to the DC role. And, you know, he's got a real tough task this week in trying to slow down Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison in that incredible uh, Trojans offense. But it was a reference earlier. This has not been a great place for USC over the years. And, you're looking for places or games that will test them, uh, you know, around before or after Utah. This is this is one that, that definitely jumps out to me. So I, I think USC wins, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than certainly their first few games have been under Lincoln Riley. Okay, and then so my number two is my Big Twelve game, and I went a little different from yours. And that you know, listen, I I, I was really on the K State bandwagon coming into this season, predicted them <laughs> to win the Big Twelve. I know a lot of they were kind of a chic pick for a lot of us, um, and they lose to Tulane last week, which doesn't mean the season is over they could still go in and have a good year in the in the big 12 but you know when when you lose to Tulane it takes a whole lot of wind out of your sails heading to a big game at Oklahoma Oklahoma yet again another one of these teams where you know not much competition the first two weeks UTEP and Kent, Kent State there's nothing that we have seen out of Oklahoma that is not to like but when you're you open against UTEP and Kent State and then a Nebraska team that was in disarray it's just hard to get a gauge of like, okay, how good is is this here? You know, what exactly am I seeing here out of Brent Venables? Nothing but positive signs, but I want to see it against a team that's going to be a little more provide a little more competition. I am sure Kansas State will do that. Who knows how you know how motivated and and in tune Kansas State was last week in between beating Missouri and having to play Oklahoma. So I'm. I, Kansas State also usually plays Oklahoma really, really well. So despite what happened at Tulane last week, I think this could be very interesting in Norman. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one that I'm glad you brought that up. It wasn't as much on my radar, but thinking about it, it it's, it's a fascinating game because Chris Kleiman already has two wins against Oklahoma. And, um, you know, they're certainly aware of him. Uh, but again, I, I, the concern that I have is it doesn't appear – 
that they're getting that bump from Adrian Martinez that, you know, a lot of us thought they might. No, um, from no. a passing standpoint, just not throwing the ball uh, very effectively, still running it effectively, has 150 rushing yards in his first few games, a couple of touchdowns. But is there an offense outside of Deuce Vaughn? Uh, if there's not, they're going to lose because Oklahoma's really uh, getting it going offensively and their defense has taken a step forward. I, I wanted to ask you quickly, Ralph, something that I was asked on SiriusXM earlier this week by Rick Neuheisel, and that is, could we be looking back at last year's crazy coaching cycle and say, you know what, that was a win-win for both USC and Oklahoma? Yeah, I think that there is a pot. Listen, I, certainly Oklahoma fans are thinking that because I think the reason why we could get there is I believe Venable's is filling the holes that Lincoln left. As good as Lincoln Riley is and and has been as a coach and as good a job as he did at Oklahoma, it does seem like the things that maybe were in his strongest suits, obviously defensive end, but not just defensive end, but sort of like sort of a toughness that needs to be inherent in a defense, maybe there's some culture things there, and it seems like Venables, while still dealing with a strong roster, has been able to tap into some things that Lincoln maybe seemed to be neglecting. So yeah, maybe I think it's I think it's certainly possible. Very early to tell, and that's one of the reasons also why I'm interested to see this Kansas State team because Kansas State tended tended to exploit that aspect those those aspects of Oklahoma in its wins and I don't know if you're going to be able to push around Oklahoma in the ways that Kansas State was able to and sort of out tough Oklahoma in the ways that Kansas State has in the games that it has beaten them over the years with Lincoln no doubt no doubt um and yeah I think that physical element which you're seeing more throughout the Big 12 maybe something that Oklahoma didn't adjust to well enough under Lincoln but certainly will have uh, and they better have it <laughs> given the conference that they're joining in the next few years. So I, I do think we're going to look back and say, you know what? I know Oklahoma state, Oklahoma fans are bitter. The people in the state are bitter, but that, that worked out okay for you guys in the long run. So I'll move on to my number one. Yep. Uh, I'm going to the SEC, but I'm not going to the game featured on college game day. Although I'm just excited for a, a relevant Tennessee, Florida game and Tennessee fans are going to be crazy uh, uh, that, that day, but I'm going to Arkansas A&M. Um, that, that, you know, that's number one on my list too. And I did the same thing. I had you, I had Tennessee and Florida sort of in my mix there. And I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't take my eyes away from A&M right now. Not necessarily yeah. for the best reasons either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about uh, being, being glad you don't have to watch Washington's offense. Well, you, you do have to watch A&M's offense um, at least for, unless, at least until it improves. And I don't know if, uh, if you're getting a new coach there uh, at least right away. Um, so you mentioned earlier, Ralph, the Vegas knowing and, and Vegas had Washington favored over Michigan state. Well, Vegas has A&M as a slight favorite over Arkansas, even though we'd all agree that Arkansas has looked a lot better mm-hmm. than A&M has um, early this season with that win over Cincinnati, uh, with dominant win over uh, South Carolina, at least on offense. And yeah, I mean, Missouri State had them, uh, your backs against the wall against Bobby Petrino, but they were still able to, to, to have a strong fourth quarter and win that game by double digits. They haven't left Fayetteville. This isn't a true road game, but it is in the state of Texas against their uh, their former Southwest Conference rival, now SEC rival. Uh, so interested to see how K.J. Jefferson and company perform. Arkansas, Ralph, is in this incredible stretch. I mean, you think about the games that they've already played. Mm-hmm. Think about the next four. A&M in, in Arlington, Alabama at home, then at Mississippi State, and then at BYU, uh, which we know can can be a really, really tough place to play. And, and, and Kalani Sataki's done a great job there. So I feel like we're going to be talking about Arkansas every week, although the bigger story is A&M. And can they win this game building off the Miami victory, even though that was an ugly one, at least on the offensive side? Can they? Is Max Johnson the answer? Is he not? I mean, they have Mississippi State and Alabama and South Carolina all on the road coming up after this game. So they won't be back home in College Station until the end of October. Yeah, th- this seems like sort of a pivot point for Texas A&M season, right? They beat Miami. If you beat Arkansas, you know they they haven't done well against the Mississippi schools, especially in the state of Mississippi. And we all know what's what's coming around the bend in Tuscaloosa. I, I, it's hard to see that ending well, but there's still like I think there was a, it was easy to look at what happened with App State 
and then to see sort of the sluggish follow-up, but a victory against Miami and for everybody to just abandon ship on Texas A&M and be like, all right, I guess they're going to win eight games. Well, if if you're going to turn this season around and still have something that could look like a New Year's Six or contending, pushing Alabama in in the top of the West, like a lot of people thought, like that's still very much possible, but it has to have a victory against Arkansas in there. Uh, and, and, and a rivalry that they've mostly owned. I'm trying to remember back to last year, but over over the since Arkansas and Texas A&M, since Texas A&M joined the SEC, they played a lot of close games and interesting games and competitive games, but A&M almost always wins them. So again, it's it's what's next for this offense. It's what's the reaction if they lose. It's, you know, it's it but but it's also the potential of, hey, maybe this team was buried too early and there's a lot of potential here and we could be looking at a team that really does challenge in the SEC. So I feel like there's so many different ways A&M can go here. Uh by the way, Arkansas is pretty good too, and that's the reason why I have it number 1. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing about A&M we can say definitively is that they're a good defensive team, right? I mean, they've only allowed, what, uh, 23 points in their first three games. And even though a lot of their talent, you know, is is first or second year guys. And they were banged up. They were losing guys left and right against Miami, which has its own offensive issues. But we'll get to that another time. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but it's. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they hold up against K.J. Jefferson and that offense from Arkansas. And then. You know, Arkansas, which has had some injury issues of its own, um, you know, Jay, Catalan going out for the season, which was unfortunate again. Um, you know, how 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 are they going to be, you know, leaving the, the comforts of, of Fayetteville for the first time? So yeah, I think we're going to have some interesting answers one way or the other coming out of this. And I, I kind of get why A&M is favored, but certainly wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas improved the 4-0. Okay, so we haven't been holding you to picks, but I'll make you make a pick on this one. And I'll make a pick, too. Who, who do you like in this game? I, I don't even oh, know what I'm the line is. I'm I I not confident, but, I mean, I just feel like, uh, you know, just getting a little bit of confidence coming out of last week's win over Miami, they they more than me. Um, but, but I, I you know, having another week to prepare with Mac Johnson at, at quarterback, saw a little bit of cracks in Arkansas that I think they'll be able to exploit. And, uh, and, and, you know, just being, you know, they, the fact that they, that they, uh, I, I think this game being played in Texas favors them much more than, than it does Arkansas. Yeah. What I've seen out of Arkansas, I haven't, they haven't been great defensively, hasn't held them back, but they haven't been great defensively the first three weeks of the season. And maybe that's exactly what A&M needs. Maybe what A&M needs is a team with a little bit of a wonky secondary to sort of, you know, get some guys open and lift up that passing game um, and and find a little more offense. So, yeah, I think I'll I'll probably go with A&M this week as well. You're right. There's a ton of really good games this week without necessarily having the game. We, as I said, we didn't even get into Florida and Tennessee and some others, but uh, a great weekend. Um, I am not going to be, as I mentioned earlier, I'll be on the couch taking them all in this weekend before I get head back on the road. There is a an outside chance I might uh, take my show to the local game. Which you got to do it, Ralph. Come which on, is, yeah. You'll which is Iowa Rutgers. Play in your life. If it was, if it was a day game, I would have been a little more likely to do it. But it's a night game at Rutgers between Iowa. By, by the way, two of the best punters in the country uh, who will get a lot of work. So I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Should I make the trip over to Jersey? I would do it. I mean, to be able to witness that live, um, <laughs> I mean, not even two of the best punters uh, in college football, two of the best punters in the world are going to be point. there. Um, from, from Both from Australia. They know each other. Um, I was talking with Adam Korsak at uh, at Big Ten Media Day about Tory Taylor at Iowa and their friendship and um, and and you know the putting his winning shirts and all that. So I I, I would do it, but I understand that you know you're a, you're a big time national writer. No, you got to no, focus on that. all these other things going on, and you're justifying uh, you know being in Piscataway on a Saturday night to watch you know maybe thirty punts. It, it may may not be the best uh, use of your time. Yeah, you know you you can have the alternate screens there. You know you can watch things on your phone or on your laptop so yeah there might be a way to do this uh it is it is very tempting uh the the biggest issue is you know we are a one car family because my uh we live in brooklyn we don't we don't need a car often so 
you know, when I work on fall weekends, my wife tends to like do other things. <laughs> She's not going to sit around waiting for me because she knows I'm unavailable. So it, it, most of it will be, hey, honey, can I use the car this weekend? Because, again, we, we don't need to get too much into the mass transit, but it's not easy to get from Brooklyn to Piscataway without a car. Like there's not a lot of mass transit doing that. So I'm not doing that. Uh, so if I can get the car, maybe I'll go watch some some punting and see if uh, I, I believe the, the total on this is like 36 or 35. No, I just looked at I was literally looking at it as you were talking about 34. 34 <laughs> Could 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 you actually have more punts than points? That that would be <laughs> that, that that to me is the fun of this type of game. Well, uh, Adam, where are you heading this week or weekend, or are you heading anywhere? Yeah, I've been home. You know, they, they wanted me home more this season, um, so I'm home again. Uh, but we'll be watching, and uh, you know, one game that I'll, I'll mention also just off the radar, just because they've been like the story this season. Uh, App State hosts uh, hosts James Madison, so another uh, interesting game for App State in, in the Sun Belt against a, a pretty good James Madison team transitioning to uh, to conference play. So what 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 could possibly be next for the uh for the mighty the mighty mountaineers after the craziest three game start to the season of anyone in college football. Adam Ripberg covers college football for ESPN, does an amazing job, covers the whole country. Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show today, helping me out, dropping some insight, and hopefully we will, when we're both out on the road again, actually end up in the same press box and we'll see we'll run into each other uh real soon. It's always one of my highlights, Ralph, and obviously this is a highlight as well. Thanks for having me on. And now three and out. First down. I just published a story, or at least I think it's about to be published. By the time you hear this, it will almost certainly be published. The story is about what it's going to take logistically to expand the college football playoff from 4 to 12 teams for the 2024 and 25 seasons and also beyond. I'll link to the story in the show notes, but to overly simplify it, for 24 and 25, there are already semifinals and championship games scheduled for those seasons. Dates, sites, everything is locked in. How do they unlock it? Those games need to be bumped back about 10 to 12 days on relatively short notice for early expansion to happen. It's that that simple, but also that complicated. Here's the other big takeaway, and I cannot emphasize this enough. When the playoff expands, these games are going to be played mostly, if not exclusively, on weeknights. Now, that won't be too bad around quarterfinals when it's near the holidays and January 1st, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Like That'll work out generally okay with the emphasis on New Year's Day. And the day off and people lounging around. So that'll look good more often than not. The the quarterfinals mostly on New Year's Day. But the other games, the first round games, the semifinals and the championship games, if you're looking for them on Saturdays, they're going to be hard to find. There may be a few, but not many of them. I'm pretty sure college football fans are not going to like this, but you should know where this is headed and be prepared for it. Second down. The athletic directors of Oklahoma State and Oklahoma told our friend Brett McMurphy of Action Network that when OU leaves the Big 12 and joins the SEC, the Bedlam rivalry will be discontinued. That sucks and is a little surprising and seems like a petty decision lacking foresight. Now, it should be noted that this could be a temporary hiatus. Oklahoma's AD told Brett that the school didn't have available dates to work in the Sooners into its non-conference schedule. Now, it's not that hard to move games around if motivated, but it can cost some money. Okay. OU's AD, not quite so subtly, pointed to Oklahoma State and said, their fault. We're willing to do it. Whatever. Now the fans can argue over whose fault it is and how much they really don't even want to play each other anyway, stealing from Texas and Texas A&M's playbook. By the way, considering how lopsided the rivalry has been in favor of the Sooners, maybe the Cowboys are better off skipping Bedlam for a few years. Third down. Allow me to be a homer just for this week. My alma mater, Fordham, is venturing into the MAC, where it will play Ohio U on Saturday. The Bobcats are 1-2 after a terrible first season post-Frank Solich last year. 
That said, getting blown out by Penn State and Iowa State doesn't necessarily mean Ohio is heading for another bad season. The Bobcats did open their season with a win against FAU. But they ain't great, especially on defense. Fordham, on the other hand, is quite good at offense. Tim DeMarat currently leads FCS with more than 1,300 yards passing in three games. Now, the Rams don't play much defense either. I've got a chance to watch them their games on replay on Sundays on local TV. Uh, just a little They often come on after the Mets in the day. <laughs> so they replay the Fordham games against teams like Albany uh, at, at night on Sunday. So I'll flip around and watch a little de- and watch a little Fordham ball. And their games have been wild and high scoring. Coach Joe Conlon's guys are a handful to, to stop and have scored at least 48 points in each of their three victories. Yes, they are 3-0. I am not predicting a Fordham win. I am not necessarily even expecting the Rams to win. But I will say, I think my old school has a chance here against Ohio. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow, 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 so you don't miss an episode. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com, the digits 25. We'd love to hear from you on all topics college football, serious or silly. And I promise I'm going to start getting to those emails if you send them. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.